But uh, also, it was written at a time, probably was written from Rome, um, and probably was at a time just when um, it appears that it was written about at the time that Emperor Nero came to power in Rome. And uh, anyone know anything about Nero, right? A little bit off his rocker. Yeah, no love lost between Nero and the Christians. Um, um, probably wasn't happening yet, but there would be under Nero an incredible persecution of believers. But it had already really started, and um, it had already started, of course, back whenever, you know, we, and we, we read about, about Acts chapter 8. Um, there had already been some persecution against the church, some persecution against believers because they kind of had been misunderstood and misaligned, but also really because God had ordained it to spread the gospel. And um, anyway, so we have this time where there's a, uh, some persecution that's just increasing, but boy, it's nothing compared to what's coming. Um, we know in first in, in the, uh, after about the first century, there would be um, incredible persecution of the church, and, and uh, that's where we get the stories of the gladiators and whatnot, right, where um, uh, they would uh, let, let, you know, put Christians out in stadiums to be eaten alive, or they'd be burned to death in uh, bronze kettles and that sort of thing. Uh, really horrible stuff. But um, all, their, all throughout Christianity, um, Christianity has been persecuted. And uh, for that reason, and because there had been so much persecution already, and even though it hasn't gotten as intense as it would get under, under Nero's full um, all-out persecution of the church, um, they were already suffering. They were already um, uh, being persecuted. There was already misunderstanding about what Christianity was about and what this odd sect was that had come and a Judaism. Um, and so people, there was a lot of misunderstanding. People were um, in their own families. They were, they were kind of kicked out of their own families because of these strange new beliefs that they had. Um, but not just that. There was, um, the governmental uh, persecution hadn't yet started, but they were already suffering uh, because um, from town to town, wherever they went, there would be Judaizers there who would be chasing. And you guys, as we read through Acts together earlier this year, um, you guys remember the stories. They would actually go and follow Paul and Silas and all those guys as they were going through those towns and be trying to create a ruckus to get them either killed or thrown in prison. So um, anyway, there was already a lot of persecution that was going on. Peter writes at a time and place where maybe he sees some of the persecution getting worse, but he writes this letter to believers to try to help them hold on through suffering. And I, you know, I can't think of a, a more appropriate message for us as believers here, although of course here in the United States, you know, persecution is just not there. Um, it's just absent. We maybe get made fun of and whatnot occasionally, and certainly the mass media has no love for Christians or whatever, but, uh, but, uh, but overall we don't suffer like they did back then. We have, Cheryl and I were just talking yesterday about first world problems, not third world kind of problems like, yeah, I, I may not be able to eat today. We have first world problems more like, eh, this is terribly inconvenient. But um, anyway, um, but anyway, but, but such an important message for us today. So anyway, as you have your, your handout there this morning, um, I need to, um, you know what, and I grabbed a copy. Jonathan, would you, would you, yeah, can I, hey, would you grab me a copy off? Yeah, that'd be just fine too. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I'm sorry, I left all my copies on the back table. The, the theme of First Peter is hope. The theme of First Peter is hope. That's the first blank there. there. Um, and it is from the beginning of, of the book through the end of the book. And basically, Paul, Peter's going to start. I'm going to go say Paul a lot because I preach so much from his epistles. But um, P Peter speaks so much about the hope that the Christian has. In the midst of adversity, Christians always have hope. There is always hope that we have as believers, and Peter's just going to write about it over and over. And we're going to cover the first, oh, about oh, 10 verses or so of 1 Peter. Uh, but anyway, as we do that, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of fill out the blank here as we go. 
He, Peter's going to write too, and Christian writers, the uh, New Testament, hey, uh, Carl, you see on the back table there's a, com- a white sheet back there of uh, completed blank. Can you bring me one of those? Look how terribly disorganized I am. Yeah, I just need one though. Thank you. Those of you who don't want to play, there'll be some filled out copies on the back table if you don't want to play. I know some people just, I don't want to take notes during church. Yeah, no, but I want one. Thank you. All right, very good. Thank you, sir. Okay. Um, uh, and in, in Christianity, actually, there was, there was a, uh, some, some kind of really different teaching than had ever happened before. Uh, in the world, right, suffering can bring about hopelessness, not more hope, you know. In the midst of suffering, suffering can be like a wet blanket in the middle of, of having hope or in the middle of having joy. But in Christianity, it's spelled out specifically and particularly amongst Christians, and it was noticed very early on by the Romans that these people are different. They take suffering joyfully. They accept it. They take it. And in the midst of their joy, they, they accept it. There was a, uh, a Roman um, um, uh, um, a military leader who had some Christians in his rank, and um, they were out in a place they had been uh, kind of lost in, and uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, despite their lack of food, the Christians just took on all that suffering, and they still rejoiced, and they still praised God. And he noticed that, and he asked the Christians to pray to their God that there would be some relief. Uh, but so, so taken was he how very different Christians suffered from other people, how very different they took on the pain, how very different they took it on that they even rejoiced in the midst of their suffering and accepted it as though it was God's will. So very different from what he was used to. And this is the kind of hope that I'm going to talk to you about today. It's unlike any other kind of hope. It's unlike anyone else in the world has is Christian hope. And the reason is, on on your uh, next blank there, is that Peter would write that Christians have hope that is a living hope. It is a living hope. That means it is active. It is not just some hope that we have like wishful thinking, like I hope that things will get better. No, it's solid confidence that I know the Lord's plans for me. I know his goodness for me. I know his power. I know his plans. I know his desire, no matter what happens in this life, his desire for me is to have relationship with me, to help me to live eternally. And that's the, 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 uh, the eternity that we look forward to, is to be completely enraptured by the love of God, if not completely in this life, completely in the next. Amen? We have a living hope. Okay, so 1 Peter, if you would read with me, we're going to start right there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered among, sorry, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have to suffer you have, may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. All right, let's read through, let's get through this just a little bit. And as, so here is Peter writes, and his intention is apparently to encourage believers through suffering, to encourage them through the pain that they're going through in their life, the, the separation that's going on in their families, the persecution from being kicked out of, some of them had been Jews previously, and they'd been kicked out of synagogues because they were following the Lord Jesus Christ. But regardless, they were being persecuted. The people who were in power at that time, especially in those Jewish areas, in those particular areas, there was a, a concerted effort to persecute them and drive them out of town in an attempt to preserve Judaism. Um, and in the midst of all of that, listen how Peter begins his letter. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world, and in verse 2, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Peter, in the very beginning, he, he reminds them, he tells them, you have been chosen by God. He has elected or he has selected you. He chose you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has chosen you. You know, sometimes we have uh, some real hard times about God's election, about God's choosing, especially in foreknowledge, especially when it's talked about before the, the beginnings of the world. But, um, but every time um, either Paul or Peter or anyone else in the New Testament writes about God's election or God's sovereign choice, they always write about it in an attempt to encourage or to give praise and thanksgiving to God because He has chosen you. What does it mean that God has chosen you? Well, here's what it means to me is that since God has chosen me, since God has selected me, I know that my faith is secure. I know that there is something holding on to me other than me just holding on to my faith. Because if it was up to me, I would have made it. Right? If it was just up to me, I wouldn't have made it this long. I wouldn't have made the choice to, stay, to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to stay with it for the rest of my life. I mean, I could get maybe five good minutes of obedience, but after that... I need something else, right? I need the Lord Jesus to come in, and I need him to hold me by his strong hand and to not let me go, uh, to not let me go. And so that's one of the reasons why you and I can hold on through suffering, believing and knowing if the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen you, if he has selected you, then he will not let you go, and you can endure through suffering. And, and, uh, and if it's God's will, he will hold on to you through um, if you were selected by his will, then you will not be lost in faith. All right. To God's elect, strangers in the world. I love that passage, just, just in the middle of nowhere, strangers in the world, right? We don't have the same goals as the rest of the world. We don't have the same attractions as the rest of the world. We're like strangers here. It's like we're pilgrims. We're only passing through this place. Our hope doesn't lie here. You know, the, the, I don't get up in the mornings just thinking, you know, man, you know, I've got this property and that's going to last me the rest of my life and I've got this, these finances, I've got money in the bank and that's all my hope is here and I've got my health and what else do I need? Listen, all this goes away, right? It, no one's shocked, right? You, you, you knew this was coming, right? Uh, all of this goes away one day. There's none of, no, nothing on this earth is permanent. There is only one thing that is permanent on this earth, and that is people have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their souls are saved and will be saved forever. Everything else goes away. And so um, we are strangers here, have different, uh, different goals, different, uh, different attractions than what the rest of the world does. We don't try to accumulate here. We try to accumulate um, wealth in heaven. And they've been scattered throughout the regions of Asia Minor there. Uh, and verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and these are in your blanks, for obedience to Jesus Christ 
and sprinkling by his blood. I love how it says it. So why were you chosen? Why were you and I chosen? Some of those answers are right here in verse 2. We were chosen, one, we were chosen through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit takes and brings the benefits of salvation to us. He saves us, and he begins working on us immediately when we come into the family of God. The little Cambry a few months ago when she gave her life to Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit began working to sanctify her and to start bringing into her life all the realities and all the resources of the gospel so that he might change her now and forevermore. Amen? And in your life and my life as well. Thank God. So he steps into her life and he begins to sanctify, making the gospel more real to her and more real to me making us realize that the gospel applies to more of my life than I ever realized before. And as I walk and as I age and as I walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit is continually bringing in the truth of the gospel and applying it to my life ever more and helping me walk more obediently with the Father um, uh, uh, through, through the Holy Spirit. So, um, yes, we are chosen um, through the sanctifying work and for obedience to Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? We were chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ. We were chosen so that we would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Don't be confused by anything else that's going on. One of the things that you were chosen for was so that you would follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be his disciple, that you would take seriously this goal of growing up in him. Okay? And so what does that mean? Is that you and I very seriously have to take hold of trying to follow him. You know, um, our salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. Someone wiser than I once said. Uh, Salvation is free to us. It costs the Lord Jesus Christ everything. But it was free to us. But discipleship is now going to cost you the rest of your life. You've got to give up everything else to follow him. Jesus made that pretty clear, didn't he? You've got to give up everything else to follow him. And then the next thing, and uh, obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, that, that act of cleansing that came through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We were chosen so that he might uh, cleanse us from all of our sin through his, through his blood. Okay, verse 3. God has given us new birth in verse 3. I can't tell you what these words in Greek, I can't tell you how dramatically this is stated in, in, in the original language, but, you know, if you just hear it in English, it kind of makes sense. This idea about a new birth and the idea that Paul would write about us being new creations, this means that what was there before we were Christians and what we are now in Christ is completely new, completely different. There is no comparison between the two. Before we were lost in our sins, before we were lost in darkness, before we were lost forever and deservedly so, but now that we were in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have what we're going to read here coming up next. We have, in, because of this new birth, because of this life, we, new life, we have new hope. We have new hope in verse 3. We have in verse 4 a new inheritance. And in verse 5, we have God's shielding and ultimately salvation. Ultimately salvation. New hope, new inheritance, God's shielding and salvation. I want to pause there for just a minute. You know, I, uh, I, I tend to be a little bit anxious. I, I come from a long line of warriors probably, but um, I, I, tend to, I tend to get a little anxious about stuff, especially about work stuff. You know, something goes out of your control and, you, you know, you can start to get a little bit anxious. 
And let me tell you, um, all the time, this is, a, this is a struggle for me, or as I like to say, struggles. Um, these are struggles for me. Um, we, uh, something will happen at work that's out of my control, trying to get a handle on it. Things aren't going very well, need to get a handle on it. Um, and uh, I, I really struggle with that. I really do. Um, and so I can go weeks by letting those things ruin my day, let them ruin my week, letting them ruin my, my month, you know? I can come home, and Brenda can just tell, you know, when I come home, it's like, oh, not a very good day, huh? Yeah, not a very good day. And, and you know what happens in those times is that I, I can get so um, overwhelmed by what's going on that I can forget what's important, okay? But this is key for what Peter's trying to teach us today and what he was trying to teach a couple thousand years ago. In those times, the temporary things really don't matter. It's the permanent things that really matter, right? So here's what's permanent. I have new life in the Lord Jesus Christ that I didn't have before. I have a relationship that's been restored with my heavenly Father. I I was an alien. I was separate from him. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, I have relationship with him, and I can go right into his throne room, and I can communicate. I can talk to him. I can pray to him like no one in the history previous to Jesus ever could. I can, and you can now. That's that's permanent. That's, that's important stuff. I, I have also a new inheritance. You know, here um, Peter's going to talk about an inheritance that we have that can never fade. It can never be taken away. It'll never go away, and it's being stored up for us by God in heaven. And one day, you and I are going to walk into, believe it or not, a great reward for our mustard-sized faith. We're going to walk into great reward in heaven one day. And, and uh, Peter says, this is a new inheritance that you didn't have before. This is something because of your faith that you get in heaven. You get to share in the glory of God. You get to share in his glory. But not only do we have that, not only do we have new life, not only do we have new birth, uh, we have new hope. We also have uh, God's shielding and salvation. We have God's shielding right now. He is protecting you and I right now and helping us to stay in the faith, covering us and shielding us until the time ultimately that we're going to gain our salvation when Jesus Christ comes back and makes all things, puts all things down, including death, and we'll suffer with death, we'll suffer with sorrow no more, and it'll all be done with, and ultimately we'll walk into salvation, and it will be like God has desired all along. He will dwell and be with his people in the new Jerusalem, in the city of God. He he will dwell with us, and we'll dwell with him, and and the Revelation says something quite strange. God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's the inheritance. That's the future that all of us have. So listen, in the midst of suffering, what Peter says is remember all the new things that you have in your life with Jesus Christ. Don't let the temporary things of what you're suffering and grieving through right now ruin your day. You have something much better than the, than the bad of, all of, of this every day. You have something much greater. And he just encourages them, and I would encourage you today, remember what's important. Remember what the Lord Jesus has done in your life in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of all that. Nothing changes the fact that you and I, if you're a believer, you have new life. You have new hope. You have a great inheritance. And you have a great destiny, a great future in heaven with the Father. Amen? Amen. And there's, boy, there's just nothing can take that away, is there? All God's people said. You know what to do. All right, all right. All right. Um, 
And because of this, you know, because of this, this changed how people who became Christians, this changed even from very early on in the very first century, people noticed that Christians were different from anybody else because they would accept suffering because they knew there was something more about suffering than just the pain. They knew that there was something to it because there is something about suffering in believers' life that God uses and appoints in their life to bring about something greater. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Look with me in verse, we're going to pick up in verse 6. In this, in other words, um, in all of these things we talked about, the new life, the new hope, the new birth, the new inheritance, God's shielding and salvation, in this you greatly rejoice. The word for greatly rejoice there is uh, hard to express. It could, it could be almost translated leaping with joy. In this you leap with joy, right? No matter what else is going on, you're just greatly rejoicing, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in grief in all kinds of trials. Let me describe that just a little bit to you. What that verse is saying is that um, this term, um, many kinds of trials, that means multicolored. In other words, you, you've endured suffering and grief in, in, in many different shades, some incredibly severe, some incredibly painful, some not quite so much, but all of them you've suffered in all kinds of trials. Let me tell you, Christian, um, I know there's a lot of teaching and especially going on right now that if you're a believer and you've got faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's going to be, you know, um, wide roads and, and primrose paths. That's just not the truth of the Scriptures. The truth of the Scriptures is that God uses suffering for a purpose in the life of a believer. He does. There's just never been anyone in the Scriptures who didn't go through that. It's just the truth. Um, I need to make sure I'm giving you all this stuff, don't I? Um, So anyway, in verse 6, look, suffering is described as varied. In other words, you're going to go through all different kinds of suffering. It'll be varied, but it's temporary. Now, temporary sounds great, but what he's talking about is in this life. Well, with these eyes, that seems like a really long time to me, right? Does it seem like a long time to you? If I'm going to suffer in this life, all this life, that seems like a long time. But what he's trying to do is give us all a little bit of perspective. This is only for a moment. This is only for a moment. The reality is, is that we were created to live in eternity with our Father. We were created for that. We weren't created for this uh, strange time where we're kind of separated with him, but yet kind of together, and we were and living through some grief and living through some pain. We were actually created for something much different than this place. Joy is described, though, as inexpressible and glorious. I love that. Don't you love it? what he says there? Um, let's see. Um, verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which per- perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, here we go, inexpressible and glorious joy. That means what he's saying is that you have, there is so much joy for the believer, language fails. You can't describe it. It's inexpressible. What has happened in the life of the believer, and when you and I think about and ponder and meditate on all the goodness that the Lord has done for us and all the new things that he's brought into our life because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and being united with him in relationship, all of those things, he says, you try to explain it and you can't. Words will fail you because this glorious, inexpressible hope is so big. It is life changing. It is life-altering. It takes a man who would not want to suffer and say, let me suffer anyway because I have so much joy in what the Lord God has done on my behalf. Verse 7 is really the key verse probably of all of First, First Peter. Look at that with me. We're going to skip over the kind of parenthetical phrase. These have come so that your faith 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What's the these? Trials. Suffering, trials, grief. They're all used right there in the verse before, aren't they? Suffering, trials, and grief all used right there uh, in, the, in the verse before. Those have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when the Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me say this about this, about us as I wrap up here. Suffering is necessary for us. Suffering is necessary for us. Why do we need suffering? Because it's several reasons. Many times it's because when there's sin in our lives and the Lord's trying to point it out to us, try to turn us around to repent and to get us to repent, sometimes he'll bring uh, um, uh, friction in our lives, suffering in our lives, so that we can begin to work on those things and, and let go of those things. The other thing is that sometimes we get turned around about what's important. Right? That never happens to you? Anyone? That happened to you? You get confused about what's important, and then when suffering comes, there's something about suffering that brings us back to the Lord. Yes? We know this. You never seek the Lord, and neither do I. You never seek Him like when you're going through trouble and, and suffering, do you? There's something we're just so, you know, this is part of the bent of, 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 of our sinful hearts. This is some of the effect of sin that we're going to deal with as long as we're in these bodies. Uh, but we need suffering. The next thing, though, that he talks about here, and it's talked about all through, through Scripture, suffering refines our faith. It is a purifying work that the Lord does in us. It is him drawing out the, the lack of faith and, and leaving the good parts behind so that there is a purity to our faith, and it brings out the genuineness of our faith. Let me encourage you this way, too. Suffering for a believer is never pointless. It, it is never pointless in a believer's life. There's your next blank. It is never pointless. It is always for God's purpose. God is always directing and using suffering in your life and in my life so that he might do a greater work in us, so that he might be refining us and leaving us more pure and with a better faith than what we had before. And then the last couple of blanks, suffering produces a genuine faith tested by the fires of trial that lasts forever. The process of suffering is painful, but God's intention is good. God's intention is good. How is it you can endure through suffering? And I don't mean just get through it. I don't mean just get through it. But I mean the kind of faith that's described here by the, the gospel and the epistle writers of the New Testament and was noticed by the Romans in the first century and is noticed still today by Christians who suffer in the world under great persecution, people who gladly suffer because they see behind it the love of God who's refining their faith and purifying them not just so for the purpose of suffering. God never makes us suffer just to suffer, but he suffers, he causes us to suffer so that there might be some purity in our faith so that he might one day reward us for all the goodness that's there. This is the amazing part of it all. The Lord Jesus Christ deserves all the glory, amen? He, he deserves all the glory. Matter of fact, it says that the elders that are sitting around, they'll have on their own crowns, but they'll just cast them down at his feet. They're just going to cast them down at his feet because even though they received it, they recognize this is all because of what the Lord Jesus has done and not for me. But it, somehow in heaven, we get to share in and that praise and glory and honor, that's for us. That's that little bit of a step that you took in faith. Even though you're going through hardship, you continue to believe in the Lord's faithfulness. Listen to me, this is important. I, I know we're all thinking about leaving. This is important though. Uh, that little step of faith that whenever you were going through a trial, somehow, even though it looked like all the evidence was stacked against you, you still believed in God's goodness, and you still believed he had a plan to restore you and to heal you. Yes? That little bit of faith is 
just the most precious thing to God. There is nothing more precious to him than this, that you and I hold on through suffering. And I don't mean just by the skin of our teeth. I mean taking on suffering and saying, but God, I believe in your goodness and your love for me anyway. I believe anyway, because I've seen how you've treated me in the past. I've seen how you gave up your own son for me. I believe that no matter what's happened in this life, that nothing can take your love away from me because you chose me and you gave me new life and you gave me new hope and you're holding an inheritance for me and you're going to shield me to the time that I ultimately reach my salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll, we'll uh, bring Cambry up here in just a moment. Actually, why don't you all come on up, Cambry and... Uh, I see her. Oh, she's in Children's Church. That's all right. Well, we got a little gift for her afterwards. We'll give that to you. All right. Okay. Let's do that. Let's, uh, would you all stand with me? And we're going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, that we can look back to, at the lives of, of first, Christian, first century Christians and can look back and see they suffered too. Uh, they suffered, and, and in many ways, they suffered much worse than we do. And so, uh, boy, sometimes we, we could be ashamed of the things that we suffer for and, and, uh, and get upset about. But, Father, in the midst of all of that, Lord God, you have a desire to remind us of all the things that you've done for us. So, Father, I pray for your people here today, for every family, every member um, who's here today, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would just remind us in the midst of trouble, in the midst of suffering, Lord God, of all the great work that you've done for us. You've chosen us. You gave us new birth into new life. You give us new hope. You give us an inheritance that you're holding for us that will never fade. Um, you shield us in the time of, uh, that our, until our salvation is ultimately fulfilled. And Lord, we're just so grateful for that. And so in the end, Lord, what would we say? But, uh, but Lord, if, if suffering causes us to, to have a more genuine faith, Lord, then, then we need suffering. Um, if suffering is not just for the point of going through pain, but, but has at its root a desire on your part to, to honor us and, and, to, uh, and to reward us, Lord God, then what could we say but bring about suffering? But Father, in the midst of it all, fill us with your inexpressible joy. Fill us with that glorious joy that can't be explained because of all the things that you've done in our lives, all those things that are permanent, all those things that we need to focus on and remember in the midst of suffering. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for pursuing us. We thank you for bringing us into your family. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Tracy.